anyone that pays attention to the mainstream media, and I'm not advising that you do, but will notice that every year, just before Holy Week and just before Christmas, there'll be all kinds of uh, stories that will break about scandals in the church, doubting the, the, the divinity of our Lord, etc., etc. All kinds of things that will explicitly attack Christ, Christianity in general, and his church. It's not a coincidence. It's not accidental that every year, without exception, these sort of stories break out, and they're always trotted out at that time. Why do we see that every year before the great feasts? Because the spirits never change. What's going on here is something that was going on when our Lord first appeared. There was a real uh, classical, I guess, or extreme example of this behavior, which is a response for anyone that remembers of it some years ago uh, to the release of the Passion of the Christ. If you remember that, uh, there were really priceless responses. Some of, them, some of the best ones came from Abraham Foxman. Now, he was the former head of the Anti-Defamation League, and uh, I'll read one of his quotes. Quote, the film, from our perspective, unambiguously from beginning to end blames the death of Jesus on the bloodthirsty, vengeful Jews and absolves the peaceful, loving, kind, warm, sensitive Pilate and the Romans, close quote. I mean, it's hard not to break into laughter when you, when you read something. Does any sane human being who's actually watched that movie and seen the scourging think for a minute that these Romans are portrayed as, quote, peaceful, loving, kind, warm, and sensitive. I mean, Abe, what planet are you on? Consider this line, Abraham Foxman, quote, the showing of the passion throughout the ages was a precursor for pogroms and persecution, and this film would in several months project the passion in its Middle Ages milieu to more people than would have seen or witnessed the passion play for almost 2,000 years. It will fuel hatred, bigotry, and anti-Semitism. Close quotes. Well, years, years have come and gone. In that time, millions upon millions of people have seen the passion of the Christ. Can anyone give me a count on the number of pogroms and persecutions that have risen in response to this film? If you said one, you'd be one too high. I searched the ADL site in regards to this film. There are well over 400 results, but not one of them to this date cites a single pogrom or persecution that has risen in response to this film. Maybe I missed something. Aren't we supposed to believe, if we're taking this man seriously, that just by watching this movie, some sort of bloodbath or terrible persecution of the Jews would suddenly break out. Isn't that what he's saying? Of course that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying, but really, was Abraham Foxman really worried about a persecution? Is that what was really bothering him after seeing the Passion? Does that make any sense at all? This is a very intelligent human being. He wouldn't be in that position otherwise. So what's really going on there? It's the same thing that's going on in the mainstream media. Before we leave Abe Foxman behind, and I will talk about what's going on here, keep him in your prayers. As he tells us in his autobiography, and I quote, I learned how to pray with the rosary and kneel at the altar of the church, close quote. 
His, uh, his baptismal name is actually Henrik Stanislaus. He's a Catholic. So what's really going on here? Maybe we can get a clear idea of the issues at stake if we consider an article on the very same talk found in Ruth Sheva. So this is Israel National News. It's from March 1st, 2004. Quote, the Orthodox Jewish Union has prepared a response to the controversial, anti-Semitic, and violence-saturated film, The Passion. Rabbi Dr. Zivi Hirsch Weinreb stated, quote, what I'm concerned about, what I'm concerned about is that Jews who see this film will identify deeply with Jesus, the movie's heroic good guy, and will disidentify with their own God-given identity as a Jewish people, close quote. The rabbi is being honest, unlike Abe Foxman. The rabbi's being honest. He's worried about the passion precisely because of the possibility it might promote conversions. That's what's really going on here. And once we see that, that's just a miniature. We realize that all these attacks that we see in the media, especially during Holy Week or before Christmas, are really concerned with one thing and one thing only. Nothing has changed. It's been the same story from the beginning. These kind of attacks by the enemies of Christ are nothing new. It's been this way from the beginning. The Gospel for the Friday of the fourth week of Lent tells the story of how after Lazarus had been risen, he'd laid dead in the tomb for four days. And then our Lord raised him from the dead. And in response to that miracle, the Gospel tells us, quote, many therefore the Jews who had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. Well, who wouldn't? That's not surprising they believed him. Our Lord has spent three years teaching the people, making statements like, I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. You believe in God, believe also in me. My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. All things whatsoever that the Father hath are mine. So the Lord has very clearly claimed to be God, and then he's backed up those claims with miracles like raising Lazarus from the dead, and so the people have come to believe in him. But what is the response of the Jewish leaders to this incredible miracle of raising a man from the dead, done only a few miles outside of Jerusalem? Quote, the chief priests, therefore, and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what do we do? For this man doth many miracles. Close quote, the inerrant word of God. Note well what they said. This man doth many miracles. They knew he did many miracles. It's no surprise to them. The leaders had known our Lord was a miracle worker from the very beginning. Right from the very beginning, they'd known that our Lord was sent from God. Some three years before, right at the very beginning, of his public ministry, just after our Lord had turned the water into wine, one of the rulers of the Jews, a prominent Pharisee named Nicodemus, had come to see our Lord one night and told him, quote, Rabbi, we know that thou art come a teacher from God, for no man can do these signs which thou dost unless God be with him, close quote. Right from the beginning, they knew he was a teacher sent from God. So the leaders knew that our Lord had been sent from God, but they weren't looking for a Messiah like this. 
They expected to rule and rule absolutely. But that wasn't the message he was preaching. Here he was, eating with sinners, talking with Samaritans, even helping pagan swine like this Canaanite woman and the Roman soldier. All this stood in a really stark contrast to this tyrannical caste structure they had imposed on society. And to make matters even worse, he didn't hesitate to perform miracles or heal people on the Sabbath in direct opposition to their oppressive rules and their oppressive teaching. They were not looking for a Messiah like this. And so his behavior absolutely outraged them. They couldn't deny his miracles. The best they could come up with in their hatred and rage was to try to blame his powers on the devil. They went even so far as to accuse him of being possessed. He casts out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Do we not say well that thou art a Samaritan and has a devil? But in the face of his personality teaching miracles, these blasphemies hadn't worked. The people still kept following him. And now just outside Jerusalem, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So leaders called the council and asked, what do we do for this man doth many miracles? If we let him alone so, all will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and nation. One of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest of that year, prophesied that Jesus should die for the sins of the nation. And not only for the nation, but to gather together into one the children of a God that were dispersed. From that day forward, they, they, defy, they devised to put him to death. And the chief priest thought to kill Lazarus also because of many of the Jews, by reason of him, believed in Jesus. Those are all quotes from God's holy word. So they're losing their following. They've tried to destroy our Lord's reputation, just like the mainstream media does every year at this time. But that didn't work, so now they've settled on the final solution. They're going to destroy our Lord himself. They're going to kill him and then kill Lazarus, destroy the evidence. Now stop and consider how insane these leaders have become by this point. Obviously, if our Lord raised Lazarus from the dead once, he can do it again. They're dealing with someone who has power over death itself. Even though they have a pretty clear idea who he is, even though they have a pretty clear idea what he can do, their minds have been darkened by hatred and rage. They still want to kill him. We don't want a God like you. We don't want a king like you. We have no king but Caesar. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, he falls into their hands, and they pour out their hatred and fury upon him, and successfully manage to manipulate the Romans into crucifying him. And then even after he died on the cross, the Romans, with their military efficiency, had made absolutely sure that he was dead by piercing his heart with the thrust of a lance. That was one of the requirements to make sure somebody's dead. So our Lord is dead. There's no possible doubt about that. And the Jewish leaders had seen his dead body laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But now think about this. Even though the leaders had clearly seen our, dead, our Lord dead and laid in the tomb, they're still so worried that they had taken the incredible precaution of sealing the tomb and posting an armed guard around it. The Jewish leaders post a military guard at a gravesite just to make sure the dead man inside doesn't escape. But on this Easter Sunday morning, the tomb is empty. And the Jewish leaders knew what had happened. 
In fact, the empty tomb left them scrambling for an explanation to deny the obvious. The very best they could come up with was to bribe the guards to testify that while they were sleeping, they saw the disciples come and steal the body. Now there's a brilliant explanation as St. Augustine asks, how is this? You call on witnesses that are asleep? So the best the Jewish leaders could do was ask everyone to believe that sleeping men watched a crime being committed. But think about this. Why didn't they order an investigation or find out which of the disciples were actually guilty of grave robbery? Why didn't they order an investigation to find the body? And the reason is because they knew what had happened. They knew what had happened. The very best response they could give was this pathetic lie, which falls apart in the face of even the slightest scrutiny. And then they simply ignored the empty tomb. But they know what had happened. Everyone around there knew what had happened. The great Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, who was himself a Pharisee from a distinguished family of Jewish priests, he was born in 37 AD, says, quote, Jesus was a doer of incredible things and the teacher of such as gladly accepted the truth. He thus attracted himself many Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. On the accusation of leading men of our people, Pilate condemned him to death on the cross. Nevertheless, those who had previously loved him still remained faithful to him. For on the third day he appeared to them alive again, just as the divine prophets had foretold. And at the present day, the tribe of those who call themselves Christians after him has not ceased. Close quote. Now that's written about 93 AD by Flavius Josephus. Of course, everyone there around there knew. On Easter, our Lord wasn't the only one who rose from the dead. St. Matthew points out, quote, Many of the bodies of the saints that had slept arose, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, came into the holy city and appeared to many. Close quote. That's the word of God. Quadratus, now he's one of the earliest fathers of the church. In a work presented to the emperor Hadrian in the early second century, wrote about these men. Quote, those who were cured by a savior and those who he raised from the dead were seen not only while being cured and while being raised, they were ever present, not only while our savior dwelt amongst us, but also for a considerable time after he had departed. In fact, some of them have survived to our own time. Close quote. So you had living, visible proof, walking around in the holy city. Men that had met our Lord in limbo while still walking around in the Middle East well after his resurrection. They had met our Lord in limbo, and they're still walking around decades later because they were resurrected on Easter Sunday as well. So the Jewish leaders knew what had happened. Everyone around there knew what had happened. So why would they want to ignore the empty tomb even though they knew what had happened? For the same reason they ignored his other miracles. For the same reason they ignored his teachings. For the same reason they wanted to blame his teaching on the devil. For the same reason they wanted to kill him. And why is that? Because the implications were just so painful, so costly to consider. Maybe we've grown used to the idea, but just think about this incredible event. A dead man, by his own will and by his own power, raised himself up from the dead, lifted himself up out of the grave into a new and glorified bodily life. A dead man raised himself up from the dead, lifted himself up from the grave into a new and immortal life. By performing this miracle upon himself and by his own power, Jesus has proved his claim to be the Messiah and the true Son of God. Since the resurrection proves his claim to be God the Son, that means that since God cannot deceive us, everything, every single thing our Lord taught us 
must be absolutely true. That's the significance of Easter. And since we're all weak and sinful men, the reality that everything our Lord says is absolutely true can be painful because the gospel makes demands. And they're real demands. Our Lord doesn't say, let's make a deal. You can do anything you feel like as long as you're basically a good person. Our Lord doesn't say, let's make a deal. Our Lord says, this is the deal. If you love me, be holy. Keep my commandments. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and come and follow me. It's black and white. Our Lord has divided the world into two, and only two camps, the lovers of the cross of Christ and the enemies of the cross of Christ. On Judgment Day, we'll each have our own Easter. Each one of us is going to rise from the dead. Each one of us better ask himself, which camp am I in? Am I keeping the commandments? Am I in the state of grace? Why be with the goats or the sheep? The tomb was empty. Christ has risen from the dead. And someday, so will we.